the shepherds made the announcement that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know those words, probably you have them memorized. Um, the little statement, this day, is a good, good way of reminding us that this was not just the last minute, spur of the moment thing with the Lord. This has been on the planning table, on the drawing table, if you will, of the Trinity for a long, long, long time. And uh, God's plan, even in the book of Genesis, if you're familiar with the Genesis story, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord promised that he was going to bring the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. That was kind of the, the very first gospel announcement that was made hundreds of years before the birth that one was coming who would defeat Satan and he came the term Savior when it says unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior you could translate that word deliverer it's it's, uh, not a bad translation it can refer to deliverance of anything doesn't have to be necessarily a deliverance related to sin uh, it can be used as deliverance from a political army or deliverance from bad things or whatever. And that's what it has to do with. It has to do with deliverance. But in the case of the Savior, uh, it has to do with God coming in flesh to deliver man from his sin. And we have a struggle with that. Uh, I work. Some of you probably know I work at Lowe's part-time um, as a cashier down there. And uh, I talk to people a lot. I very frequently will ask people, how's your day, how's it going? And uh, everybody has a different answer. But one of the answers that's very common is, well, I can't complain. And I say, no, you can't complain. It doesn't do you any good. And it's really a bad sign. It seems to indicate that we think we're getting better. We deserve better than what we're getting. When in reality, all of us are rebels against the holy God and we deserve hell and he he is he is sent his son as a deliverer as a savior to make it possible for us to escape hell and to stand in his presence you've heard people say well nobody's perfect that's true but if you want to stand in God's presence and be accepted you'll have to be perfect and we're not the only way that we can stand in his presence and be accepted is if he does something to clean us up. That's why he sent his son. He came as a deliverer, a savior. He is, he is called Christ the Lord. Christ is the word for Messiah. Uh, it has to do with being anointed. He is anointed. You, you hear the Messiah, the word Messiah means God's anointed. And usually that has to do with, you'll think of King David, who was uh, uh, an anointed king. And uh, it means that he is given a special anointment or special authority uh, from God. And Christ came as God's anointed, the Lord, the sovereign, and uh, he is the Savior. And that that uh, manger that we were looking at uh, held the, the little earthly body of the Lord in flesh. Now, maybe a year or so later, the Magi's came. They didn't come to the stable. They came to a house. We get those con- confused a little bit sometimes. 
We don't know if they rode camels. They probably didn't. They probably came on Persian horses. The Bible doesn't say they were on camels. It doesn't say that there were three of them. They just came, these, these uh, occult kingmakers, maybe is a good way. In, in that day and time, these people were very, very powerful, and they were... They had a lot of authority in the government. They had risen to positions of prominence, and they were consultants for those that that uh, did a lot of things, including and especially making kings or recognizing kings. And they came, and they fell on their face before that boy, Jesus, who was maybe a year old at the time, and worshipped him, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of that just to simply say that this child who was really came, who was really born, is God's son, and he came for you. And he came for me. Now probably, if we were to take a maybe a, a census of everybody here, and maybe get everybody to fill out a, a confidential questionnaire or whatever, and I ask the question, how many of you want to go to heaven? I suppose it would be 100%. 100% of us here in this room want to go to heaven. Um, there was a man that came to Jesus. Uh, we study about him in the scriptures. He's called, we call, refer to him as a rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus. He wanted to go to heaven. He was asking for eternal life. You can, if you want to read about him, you can find his story uh, all three Gospels, but Mark 10 is a good passage that gives it to us, where he came to Jesus uh, falling on his face, probably you know the story, before the Lord and asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the life of God to live with you forever in heaven. And uh, Jesus uh, told him, you know, you need to keep the commandments, you don't want to kill, steal, murder, these big ones, the big ones that were that he didn't he hadn't violated. He said, Well I've kept all of these from my childhood up. I'm sure he kept them better than I did, because I've lied many times. But uh, then the Lord said, Well, let me tell you one more thing you need to do. Take all your money, sell it, because he was a very rich person, give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, do you think the Lord can provide for somebody who sells everything and gets rid of it? He can still feed them. If he feeds the multitude, he can do it. The key is to sell everything, divest yourself, and give to the poor and follow me. And he didn't want to do that. Now, I don't think that the Lord has the number one criteria for people to come to him that we have to sell everything. It was just his, his particular unique situation. But what he does say is that he has to come first. So if he asks us to sell everything, we do it. If he asks us to go to this place, we do it. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, we want to put him first. That's the key. And he was not willing to do that. He wanted to go to heaven, but he wanted to go to heaven on his own terms. You can't do that. Luke 14, I frequently... When I pray for people, especially people that are very dear to my heart, I pray that the Lord would help them become a Luke 14 disciple because that's the disciple. Jesus said in Luke 14, if a man wants to be my disciple, no man can be my disciple who does not. He uses the words, uh, the phrase, hate mother, father, wife, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, whatever. He doesn't mean that you hate them, hate them. What he means is that you put me first. Uh, he used the same kind of language when he said no slave 
can serve two masters. A slave, you know what a slave is. We've had slavery in this country. A slave is a person that is the property of somebody else. You can't, as a slave, be the property of two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. That's what it means. You're going to follow one and turn your back on the other insofar as putting Jesus first. That's a, that's a challenge, but that's what the Lord is saying, to be his disciple, to put him first. That's, that's kind of, in fact, the passage is sometimes some Bibles, they label that passage the cost of discipleship. That's what the Lord is saying. It's not just that you, oh yeah, I believe Jesus died and, and I'm going to heaven. The belief um, in Jesus is more than believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. It's really putting your faith and trust in him and putting him first. I don't do that as I should. Probably you don't either. But that's what he's asking us. And so I'm inviting you as we look at this passage to take that seriously here today to put him first. In, um, also in Mark, all three Gospels, there is a story of Jesus who was on the road from Jericho. Actually, he came across the Jordan River there and came across at Jericho. And he was going up Jericho to Jerusalem and he was with the crowd of people and they were going up to celebrate the Passover and it was maybe a day or so getting earlier than that. he was going up it's a long road and there was a lot of excitement a lot of things going on and sitting by the road uh, were a couple of men one of the the men sitting by the road was named Bartimaeus and the Bartimaeus uh, had been become blind. Uh, we don't know the circumstances um, and the situation, but he had become blind uh, because he, he later on said to the Lord he wanted to get his sight back. He wanted to regain his sight, which meant one time he had it, he'd lost it. He's been blind now for a long time and he's at the road and there's no hope for him. Uh, what can you do as a blind person? Uh, you just you live your life from from one hand out to another. Uh, as a blind person, you look kind of spastic in a way, kind of funny, and you know how people look and they stare off, and they're not the most fun people necessarily to be with. And uh, this man was sitting by the road one day, and he heard a lot of commotion, more than usual, and a lot of singing, a lot of excitement. And he said, what in the world is going on? What's happening? What, what is this going on? And somebody said, it's Jesus from Nazareth going by. Well, he had heard of Jesus from Nazareth because he called him in that, in that text there, he called him the son of David. The son of David is a term that refers to, it's a messianic term, it refers to one who was a direct descendant of David. And it's not just used of anybody, but it's used of the one who is from God. If you look in the scriptures, you'll find a very, well, it's a, it's a hard it's a hard way of describing that, that uh, here is a person who is God because it says that Jesus is both the root and offspring of David. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the one who, is, who created, who started, who was responsible for the coming of David and for his dynasty. So Jesus preceded David, but then Jesus was born of a descendant from David through David's line through Mary. And so he is both the root and the offspring of David. And that term, uh, the son of David, is a messianic term. And this, that tells us that Bartimaeus knew 
that this man was extra special. And I'm sure, I mean, wherever Jesus went, he wiped out disease. He wiped out sickness when he was here. This this really is true. If if I, I can tell you this right now, if I could, if I knew for sure, if you knew for sure that this Wednesday night at seven o'clock Jesus was going to be here and he would heal anybody that came, this place would be packed because everybody in this room. Not only you, but you have friends and relatives and others that you love very much that you would like to be completely healed. And you would, even if you had to drive over to Knoxville to get them, you would do it because you love them. And he could, and so Jesus had tons of, of, of people following him for these healings. And this guy Bartimaeus was aware of it. And so when he heard there was Jesus passing by on that road going to, to Jericho, he said, Jesus... And so he started yelling out, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Well, the people there, this guy is important. He said, this is not, this is Jesus and his, his, his special time. Be quiet, shut up, sit down. Don't be a, don't be a, a sore uh, interrupter. Don't spoil this time. This is his time. He's teaching and we're listening to him. Be quiet, shut up. Did he shut up? No. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. This was his only time that he would ever get to see Jesus as far as he knew. And he wasn't going to let that pass by just because the protocol was being violated or because it didn't look cultural or wasn't whatever. He said, he's going by, I'm going to, I'm going to call him. And so he yelled and he screamed out, Jesus, Son of David. And the most wonderful statement in there is found when it says, and Jesus stopped. And he looked around and said, what is it that you want? And Joe Barnabas said, bring him here. He came up. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to have my sight restored. And so he did. And he said, the Bible says he turned around and followed him. Now, I don't know if the Lord is speaking to your heart tonight, but I do know that, that at times the Lord challenges our hearts, that we need to take him seriously. We don't do that when we're watching NCIS or football game or something like that but if we are still and we are quiet and we are talking about him he'll speak to us if he's speaking to you don't don't wait and say well come back later don't don't tell the Lord Jesus not now let it be late he may never come back like Bartimaeus he was passing by you're not guaranteed that he will pass by you next week next month and so you need to take it seriously, and so do I. And this, this uh, story that we were looking at tonight is not just a story, it's an account. Yes, there were children involved, and yes, it's being narrated, but it is a true account of God sending His Son into the world, and He came into the world to be your deliverer, delivered from sin. All of us struggle with all kinds of things that we, that we uh, find in our lives. I know we have, we have habits. I was looking at something the other day on television, about the people that were involved in all kinds of drug uh, and these these uh, drugs that people can take and they cook them up and stuff and and how you know you, when you first started it just seems so much fun it seems to give you strength and energy but it doesn't take very long before you all of a sudden you're you are tied to it you can't break away and they showed pictures of people from the first uh, the first week the first month the first year the first three years. And they just deteriorate, and they are they are sitting there shaking, and they can't control themselves. Sin kills you; it really does. 
And the deliverance from sin can only be found one place, and that is through the infinite mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Jesus came to provide that punishment for your sin and to enable you to come to Him. And so I'm going to urge you here this morning, if you haven't come to Him, I'm going to just let us bow in prayer, and I'm going to urge you to just take your heart and your life and turn it over to Him and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Commit yourself to Him. He may never come back. He never, may never pass by. You're not given that, that promise. And so I'm going to urge you to do that. Would you bow with me in prayer? Dear Father, I do thank you for who you are and what you've done. We've been able to look briefly this morning at the Christmas story, the fact that you have come for us. And I, I ask you, Lord, to speak to hearts right now about yourself and about our need. And I pray that if for no other reason the fact that we know you're good and you love us and you care for us and you've gone to such extreme measures of going to the cross to receive our punishment, that because of the goodness of your person and your work and the provision for us, that it would op- you would open our hearts, give us the faith, and that we would put our faith and our trust in you. And I ask you to do that, Father, each heart here this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us, and thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon it, and we pray in Jesus' name of thanksgiving.